When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I am with Honky. Just like Coach Frost, I am eagerly awaiting the upcoming Peach Bowl with my UCF polo and Husker shorts on. Go Knights! <laughs> I'm also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Happy Frostmas. On the fourth day of Frostmas, we've got ourselves a few new recruits, so things are going well in Huskerland. Absolutely. I'm also with Boomer. I'm just looking forward to this time of year where we can all embrace the history, beauty, and pageantry that is the DXL Frisco Bowl. Absolutely. I am looking forward to the bowl season so I can thump you guys again because I won the regular season in our our prediction, so I will take the postseason as well. Who was really counting, though, Dave? I, I was counting. As far as I could tell, I won. So take that. Uh, I didn't win the overall um, uh, Yahoo pick though. That was our producer, Skip, uh, who actually took home our Yahoo championship. So Did he win the whole he, thing? He did. He did. Wow. I, you I know, know, I missed one week, and I had a great – I was, like, right in contention, and then when I went back for Ryan's game, I forgot to put my picks in, and I was like, well, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that that was a honky, like, two months ago. <laughs> yeah, I, g- I gave up after <laughs> Illinois, I think it was, but it, not that it would have mattered. You saw my picks the other – you know, every other week, so. Yeah, cares? I think I finished third or fourth in the overall – but uh, Skip did take home the championship. So now, Dave, we do have Which a bowl. Great, pick we don't have to we? give him anything. Dave, we have a bowl pick him, don't we? Is that what we do? We do have a bowl pick him. Uh, we launched it a couple days ago, promoted it on uh, Twitter and Facebook, so everybody should check that out. And uh, Honky, I think you got a prize out there. Is that right? <laughs> we we act, if you want to call it that. Um, I have uh, two. <laughs> I think I would call it a surprise. Yeah, it's a prize. We have two 1997. Um, uh, Nebraska uh, media guides, and uh, I just want to get rid of one of them. So whoever wins this gets the other one. As long as you don't mind sending me your address, I'll mail it to you. So uh, have you yeah. looked? And up we'll all like sign it. Should we all sign it? Oh, yeah, 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 we'll sign it. Yeah. Ooh, Redcast could... official. And believe me, Dave. Ninety-seven. Yeah, this guide. was a lot better than the prize Honky wanted to give. So <laughs> it hey, it's relevant. Scott Frost, ninety-seven. Shamalan. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Twenty-year oh, yeah. anniversary. The um, uh, you know the actual value of such a media guide at this point, uh, you know eBay have anything like this? I'm guessing I'm guessing somewhere in that thirteen to fourteen dollar range, uh, probably yeah. almost as much as the shipping. I'd uh, imagine whatever <laughs> the price is actually on the cover would still probably buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Remember now, back they, then, I, I gathered so much stuff up at that time, national championship time, thinking, <laughs> "Oh man, gold mine," and like <laughs> it is so worthless. You're like, "What am I going to do when we win our our?" Our next championship, right? You know, yeah. Like, oh. I'm so excited. So now, Dave, <laughs> when do they need to fill this out, though? By I mean, what's the kind of the final well, the, date? The uh, the first 
uh, bowl games are this Saturday, the 16th, and so probably around 11 a.m. Central Time, I would guess, is okay. the first game. Uh, if you miss that, you can still enter, but I think you start losing those points. So um, the sooner the better. All right. And well, those you can links get your are on. hands on on Honky's media guide. That's that is. <laughs> those, what if I win it? Then you can you have get Honky's media guide. Do I get my? I guess I'd just be the last one to sign it. Then I'll just autograph it to myself. <laughs> That's kind of weird, but I guess I could do that. No big yeah. deal. <laughs> It's your, uh, it's right, your guys, well, the red cast, so yeah. it's not the first autographed item I've had from Mezzo. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we're still in good spirits. Uh, well, uh, well into a week into the frost era, uh, things have been moving and shaking. Uh, the coaching staff has been uh, completed. They've been out on the recruiting trail. Uh, they're now down in Florida. So lots of stuff going on. Uh, and a lot of stuff to kind of start to digest, you know, trying to really uh, start to figure out who we have uh, on this coaching staff. And we probably could uh, head into our uh, offense and defensive breakdown and, and kind of look at these different coaches. What do you say, guys? Yeah, let's do it. Sounds fun. Scoring explosion. The offensive breakdown. All right. So let's, uh, that's a scoring explosion then. Let's do offensive uh, coaches, uh, what do we know about these guys? Uh, what should our, our Redcast listeners know? Let's uh, start with uh, our offensive coordinator, who is one of the last uh, official hires because he is the interim coach down at UCF as well. And he's also wide receivers coach, uh, Troy Wal- Walters. Uh, probably one of the bigger names out there, actually, right? Uh, this is a guy who uh, played at Stanford at an All-American level. Actually won the Blitnikoff Award his senior season, played in the NFL, highly regarded uh, assistant coach right now. Honky, what are your what's your take on Troy Walters? Well, you, you said it, Dave, uh, a Blitnikoff Award winner. I I can't think of too many other Nebraska receiver coaches that have, have claimed that award. So that is something, especially as we have some guys Spielman, Morgan, uh, you know, Lindsey, some guys that maybe have been thinking you know some options since uh keith williams left it's something for them to to rethink about that there's a really good coach here he has nfl experience uh uh, we're we're bringing an offense here that's very exciting is going to give a lot of opportunities for catches for receivers um walters is he's a really intriguing um coordinator um and also uh, from nebraska standpoint too it's a second african-american coordinator that we've had uh, Jay Norvell being the being the first. Oh yeah. And so That's I think right. it's a you know it's a, a really good uh, uh, pickup I think for us to have guy with a lot of experience, a lot of connections. He can do some things I think in California from a recruiting standpoint, which are important because we are losing some connections with the Williamses, both of them being gone. So Walters kind of helps uh, give us some connection I think back to the California area, so the SoCal area. Yeah, it's a good point. You know. Um, it's a little interesting of a relationship between him and Scott Frost because Scott Frost, similar to Tom Osborne, is going to still do the play calling, right? So, mm-hmm. Mac, uh, how do you, how do you think that? I mean, what what is his role actually is as as the offensive coordinator when he's not actually making the calls on the field? You know, I think that's interesting. That's an interesting question because I always wonder about that dynamic myself when the head coach is the primary play caller, and yet you still have an offensive coordinator in name. And a lot of times I think what that has to deal with, and it 
it's a collaboration because as a head coach, you still have several responsibilities throughout the program, and particularly you know this first year with Nebraska, he's going to rely on him a lot for game planning, uh, breakdown, you know, different ways that uh, he thinks they can attack uh, the defenses they're seeing. Uh, but it's a it, you know it's a collaborative effort. They've made it work very well. I mean, obviously the guy he, he obviously had some. I think he wanted to be a head coach down at UCF. I don't think that's a secret for anything. Yeah, but I think it was the fact that he that, was yeah. The fact that after Canada. that didn't go, he immediately came up here with Frost obviously tells you that that relationship is working for him. So, um, no, I think it'll be kind of interesting as it goes along to see how that that relationship becomes more defined. But, um, no, it looks good. Yeah, it looks like he's got a good background. I mean, wide receivers coach at A&M. He was at Colorado for a while. So, Yeah, and if yeah. you, think, if you uh, think a little bit, too, about Osborne being a model for, for – um, Frost for how to run a program and how to be the offensive coordinator and the head coach. Osborne essentially had a couple of offensive coordinators without having them be titled that. Solit certainly played a lot of that role. Tenniper right. played a lot of that role. Guys that are up there in the box that they are telling the play caller down there on the field. They're exactly. telling Osborne what they're seeing. So yeah. they'll say, hey, I think you can release a tight end over here to the right, or I think that we can roll out, do those kind of things. Yeah, they're Telling not respecting the rollout, like the play-action boot. Yes. You know? So, yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Matt. He, totally. Yeah, yeah they gotta, and, He's got to have eyes in the box up there seeing that, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. so what? it's almost like sometimes you call a guy the coordinator or not. I mean, it, it's a collaborative effort, but I think, as you were hitting on Mac, I think the game plan thing is the big thing. I think where you really call a guy a coordinator is I can see a guy like Walters and Frost sitting in a room during the week, putting a game plan together, maybe getting input from right. some of the other guys, but those two guys primarily being the guys actually putting the, the, the plan together. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, uh, Boomer, anything on uh, Troy Walters? No, I'm just excited to see what they can do offensively here. You know, the, My big takeaway from their offense is just the offensive production that they've been able to turn out. My, my key stat for, I mentioned this many podcasts ago, is points per play what they're able to churn out. And uh, UCF led the country in that this last year at averaging a .652 points per play, which is, you know, fairly incredible when you think about it. Just Say that uh, stat again. .652 points per play is what they average. .652. Yes. Okay. So you have over a half a plays, play. You're going to have a, a wow. point, essentially. That's you have, kind of incredible. Do you have a comparison like what Nebraska had, Boomer, last uh, year? I'm sure we're way down the list. I can find us here shortly here. Um, Do you have remember? Yes, we averaged uh, .363. We were 79th, wedged between Texas and Louisiana Lafayette. So About half. Yes, half. So uh, we're half as productive on offense as they are. So Does, does that factor in? If we throw pick sixes and actually get negative points on a drive? <laughs> Probably not. Well, somebody's it, getting points per play there. That's true. Yeah. Fair. If it doesn't, yeah. it should. I mean, I mean we Central have, Florida, That's in, you put them in the same territory as Memphis, Oklahoma. I mean, that's almost uh, an entire point higher than Penn State averages per play and Oklahoma wow. State. So yeah. wow. that's going to be those, a pretty productive offense if we can make it work too, yeah. here. So I'm excited wow. to see that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it translates to the Big Ten. So even if he uh, was twice as bad this year on offense, we'd still be miles ahead of where we were last year. Pretty much, yeah. That's, that's good. A little margin. A little margin of error. Yeah, I like it. All right, let's keep on working through this list uh, with a couple of Nebraska guys. huh? So running backs coach is Ryan Held, who uh, has been a name that's familiar with the program for a while because of his uh, connections when he was a JUCO coach down in Oklahoma and a few other places um, and uh, has been with uh, Scott Frost now uh, for a few years. Mac, what do you think about Ryan Held? 
I love that guy. I mean, if, if you follow recruiting at all, you have seen him yeah. everywhere. And kind like of multiple states in one day. Yeah. Yeah, just flying all around. He just he has a ton of energy. Um, just a real, real grinder. He's got that Midwest. You know, he's from Overland Park, Kansas. So, I mean, he... Uh, he was a walk-on, right? Yeah, he was a walk-on. Yeah, he, you know, came as quarterback, then switched to wide receiver. He didn't play a ton, but, you know, he was... But he was here for that time period to kind of learn that culture, which is what Frost is also bringing, too. So it's a good... It's a good... Uh, another guy on the team that knows exactly what it takes to, you know... What, what do they call that? The, the unity of purpose? He, yeah, he understands right. that unity of purpose. The other, you know, thing that I really like about the guy... Uh, Besides his his work ethic and everything like that, he's just uh, his JUCO connections are like you you touched on before. He coached in JUCO a lot, so when it comes time for the recruiting cycles to come along, that's really been a lot of his focus. And you can see, man, he's he's making progress. It's great, we, and we need to do that again. You know, with with Nebraska's in state talent that we have on a year to year basis, we know we're never going to compete with the Texas or the Floridas or the California. So you know where we can kind of you know bridge that gap a little bit is with the juco ranks and we haven't done that we haven't done that well at all for a few years so it's good to see us getting back on that so ryan held brings all that i guess go ryan held <laughs> yeah uh definitely from the recruiting perspective he is he's been the, the hard charger no doubt uh hockey boomer any thoughts on ryan held i think with with held what, what you have is you know you have a, a staff right now where people are like wow these guys are getting paid a lot of money right you know they huge increases percentage-wise over what they were making before. I'll tell you with Held, nobody deserves that money more than that guy right now. He has worked his way up from, the, I mean, doing everything at the the bottom of the ranks, working at, at JUCOs. He worked at Peru State. He worked – that guy has That's earned right. his stripes at every single stop. And I challenge – well, not really a challenge isn't the right word, but just go and <laughs> Google Earth – Google Earth some of the places that he's worked in Oklahoma, like Panhandle State Junior College. Yeah. Some of the places. Yeah. Google Earth them and, and, and see what those places look like. I drove through the Panhandle of Oklahoma this last summer because I love my wife and I drove her to New Mexico. And, my goodness, that place is like – that. that's the pit of hell, that that whole area of the country. And he lived there for a couple of years coaching. And, and um, you know, that guy that – Mike lived just a few hours south yeah, of there. Yeah, that's where I'm from. I mean, he's you – know. Sorry, Boomer, so you know. Shut up, hell. But I'm, I'm telling you, man, that, you know, that, that kind of, that kind of um, effort, that, that kind of just – you know, he would just – you'd take on any, any job you can. And, and I've heard – I've read stories and heard things about how whether – I mean, he would he would – you know, set up the water on the on the field to get it. You know, get it watered in the morning. Whatever the job was, he's done yeah. it all. And you see a little bit of that in his recruiting right now. He'll go anywhere, anytime, see anyone, and uh, and it's a go getter. And he's got the Husker blood in him, so awesome. Yeah, there was a good article I can't remember from the Journal Star or the World Herald on him talking about um, you know, even when he was a player, he was essentially here to learn how to become a coach. I mean, that was his mentality. Mm-hmm. He knew he wasn't going to play a lot. He wanted to, you know, figure out how to, how to be like Osborne, et cetera. So I think that's, that's hey, he's living the dream right now, if, if that's the case. That's yeah. cool. I, I do apologize to our Oklahoma panhandle following if I offended you by, by my uh Yeah, we're just going to lose droves of, of panhandle listeners there. Huh? Those Way Boise go, City uh, people. From over there, which I actually well, know. We're huge that. in Goodwill, Oklahoma, so this is going to hurt our numbers. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My apologies. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, uh, keeping uh, working down the list here a little bit. Uh, Greg Austin, another Husker guy, uh, O line guy, who's young, full of energy again. A big, big dude. Looks like he still could be out there playing, and uh, very different mentality than what we probably saw from Kavanaugh. That's going to be one of the more dramatic shifts for these players, uh, Punk. Oh, the the toughest nails kind of persona I think he can bring. Everyone remembers him. Every Husker fan remembers him for having bad knees constantly, and he'd still be out there playing play after play. And and when we think about maybe the last couple years of offensive line, the the word toughness that comes up, uh, the idea that he can come in and, and maybe instill some of that in these guys. I think we have good offensive linemen. I think we have some good players. I think there's there's been a lot of issues. Don't get me wrong. There's been whether it's scheme or practice or just just a number of things, but I think there's talent. But if if we can match this guy's effort and this guy's toughness with the, with the bodies that we have, and, and it's a pretty deep room for offensive line, I'm excited to see what he can do with them. So that's true. Uh, and, and you know, and a lot of experience. Yeah, I mean, he was with the Eagles a couple years ago. I mean, the guy. Some of these yeah. guys have pro experience. You know, from from going from over Chip to Philadelphia with uh, with uh, Kelly a few years back. Yeah, and he's not very old. I mean, really, he, he was recruited probably under Solich and then uh, mm-hmm. played under, under Callahan almost his entire career. So, yep. you know, a little bit different there. All right, let's keep on moving, uh, unless you guys can stop me whenever you have something else. Uh, how about uh, our quarterback's coach, uh, Mario Bardusco? Boomer? Uh, I think he's one of your favorites already, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm just doing some research on it tonight, and if he's not John Oliver, there's something... <laughs> just totally uh, a miss here. So I've, I've gone ahead and posted that to our Twitter feed. Please take a look. And you tell me if you've ever seen the two of them together in the same room at the same time. I think not. So. He uh, does seem to be a bit of a character. Uh, lifelong uh, coach. Uh, a lot of small-time experience. Uh, California that met Scott Frost at uh, Northern Iowa. Uh, before he joined Frost at UCF, I think he was at was it, uh, one of the Missouri states. I can't remember which one it was, Southwest or Northwest, something like that. Uh, but, yeah, he does does have a striking uh, resemblance to John Oliver. Um, so um, if he's not related to him, uh, uh, just a weird coincidence, I guess. Uh, honky, Mac, anything else you actually want to join, talk about? I mean, I'll just say this: Frost seems to swear by this guy, so right? Yeah, he seems to be a real kind of uh, a real mechanic back there. Really works on techniques, different throwing angles, throwing positions. If you watch Mackenzie Milton, uh, you know, kind of depending on if it's a rollout, his he's got a really fast natural delivery. Um, but but they talk about arm angles and stuff like that for different routes, different throws, different plays. So I think that's kind of what he brings. I mean, a lot of energy, big energy guy, real technician back there. So works for him. Yep. That's right. Uh, yeah. Talk about someone who's come along with Scott Frost for the ride and has a dramatic change in his uh, coaching career because of that association. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool. Uh, and then uh, probably one of the last coaches added to the staff, um, Sean Becton, tight ends coach. Anything on Sean Becton, guys? He's a UCF guy, right? Kind of a lifer down there. Bit of a, a surprise that he came came along. Yeah, I don't know much but, about him, but I did. I do know that he co- took a little flack for coming up here from some of the UCF faithful that 
he you know he finally left yeah. and but again you well, know what does that say about frost as a head coach because he's been there yeah. i think for the last two coaching changes he stayed yeah and and they even i believe i mean they they, they tried to match his salary they didn't totally get to where nebraska was i think it was within sixty thousand though so not much um, and he still chose to come up with Nebraska. So I think that just tells you kind of how this staff feels about each other and the uh, and the importance of keeping them as close to together as you can. I mean, that's remarkable. Remarkable that how much... Uh, yeah, he, he left his, his alma mater. Uh, and I mean, supposedly Josh Heupel said he tried to hire him both and, and, and Troy Walters and, and both chose to follow Frost. So, hey, that's cool. All right, guys, uh, let's uh, swing over to the defensive side of the coaching staff. Throw the bones, the defensive breakdown. And uh, let's actually stick with that theme uh, and go with our defensive backs coach, Travis Fisher, another UCF guy, uh, played at Central Florida, uh, eight years in the NFL, I believe, uh, and he also followed Frost. Um, Obviously, uh, Dante Williams, very popular guy, but I think uh, in the long run, I would think that Travis Fisher should be able to recruit uh, that position quite well, uh, very well. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Well, for- Honky? Yeah. Um, again, like you said, Dave, uh, a UCF guy for, for many years comes up here. I think that's a, that's impressive right there. Obviously, with him brings a lot of Florida connections. So when you start to break the staff down into recruiting areas, and you have a guy sure. like you have a guy like Walters that has some some California, and you have a guy like Fisher that has some Florida, you're starting to hit on those key recruiting areas. Uh, we have a Twitter poll about that um, uh, out there right now about which areas of the country um, you know do you think Nebraska can recruit the best, and, and some of that's going to be based upon the coaches that we have, and so um, certainly I think Fisher fills that area. I think you bring up a really good point, Dave, bringing up. Um, uh, Williams that he's replacing. So similar to our receivers coach, Walters replacing Williams, we have Fisher replacing Williams, and these are two of the more popular coaches. Even though Dante only was here for one year, these are guys that were popular, and so that's one of the challenges that a guy like Fisher coming in has to at least deal with on day one. You're going to have some players that that didn't like the fact that their their former coach is gone. That might be different yep. than other position groups. The you know the O line or you know there might be other position yeah. groups that don't mind yeah, their guy being gone. But the DBs they like Williams, so it's one of those things. I think that Fisher is going to have to to adapt. I'm sure he'll do fine with it, but um, it's just something that you know it's it's there. I mean, at least there's some credibility in the sense that he played in the league, right? Oh goodness, I mean, yeah. I I don't know uh, much about the long term backgrounds of either either Dante or Keith Williams, but in both instances. They're being replaced by coaches that have legitimate experience on, on what it took for them to get in into the NFL. Absolutely. You know? I'm not going to learn the defensive backs' background until they're here for longer than a year. It's just uh, – <laughs> there's just been too many. You know, we got to see if this Actually, guy can quick, break the streak. Good quick Boy. trivia. Uh, how far can uh, Honky and Matt can you go back on our defensive backs' coaches over the last decade? I mean, it's, oh it's an amazing oh, list. Oh, jeez. I mean, it's easier for me to go from 73 to 97 sure. or 2003 and just say Darlington. Who was the last multiple-year um, coach at defensive back? Was it Sanders? Sanders, I think. Well, no, no. Goodness gracious. Um, well, just safeties. I mean, you had Banker for a year. Yeah. And you last year you had Booker. And before that you had the Charleston. guy that ended up being at Rice. Charlton um, Warren. Oh. Yeah, the guy that, that oh. went to – 
who went to that Rice? That was, was Maryland before. Oh, yeah. yeah, I can't even. Raymond, um, not Raymond. Good Lord, I'm. I'm this is what I'm saying. Why bother learning? Drawing a blank, and then you had Charlton Warren, and some of those other guys. The 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 Randolph, I think it yeah. was Corey. Oh, yeah, Corey, Corey Raymond. Redman. And yeah. oh my goodness, it's that that's just been an absolute revolving door. And so Ooh, hopefully, at the very least, the Fisher can help stop that. Yeah, that's the truth. No, he'll get that's a job next year someplace else. He'll do so fantastically. <laughs> it's a no, no, no. He's going to stick around. This Frost regime, man, they have loyalty. Uh, yeah. Uh, they do all right. Well, let's uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, a coach that will, I think, officially take his his uh, position title on January first as the tenth uh, coach is Barry Root, Husker guy. I've been out there recruiting himself, connecting with some of the locals. Uh, cool to have him on staff. Another NFL. Uh, you know, a guy with a lot of experience. Uh, pretty pretty raw when it comes from coaching. He's only really been with uh, Frost for a couple of years in, in a uh, behind-the-scenes role, but seems like a, a, a great opportunity for him. Honky? Yeah, um, you know, you mentioned you mentioned the, the local side of it, and, you know, on day one, right after the, uh, the press conference welcoming uh, Frost in here, he went very local, as in a couple of miles away, and helped Coach Frost uh, recruit Bryson Williams there. So yeah, at his high uh, school, from one Lincoln South, <laughs> yeah, from one Lincoln Southeast kid to the next. Yeah. He actually coached him a little bit, didn't he? Yes, and so he before he went to UCF, I guess he was doing some stuff at Southeast. He also was involved with Nebraska at times under uh, Pelini. It, again, in some kind of graduate type of you know defensive right. quality assurance role. Um, him and Pelini actually were were really close from their 2003 season together. So, oh, yeah. um, but Rude, I mean, obviously, you know, great pedigree from what he did in the pros. Very successful career at, at Tampa Bay, um, and just you know, a, a hard nosed Lincoln guy that's that's going to be coaching some kids here. This is great move, great yeah. great use of that new tenth position, and that's something I guess I don't know if we've touched on a lot before or not, but that's a new NCA rule. It's the new tenth row, uh, tenth spot. It was going to go to Tavita Thompson if he had if that staff had stuck around. That poor Tavita dude. was patient and did not pay oh, off. For him. That, I really hope. I Feel really hope Tavita guy. Thompson, you know, ends up in a great role somewhere because he As Oregon State he was patient and it. I don't. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Dave, yeah, but that might Dave be a good called spot. it last week. He said uh, he said that uh, Mike Riley would go back to to Oregon State probably and. That's only made sense. Jonathan happened, Smith so. needed a little experience on that staff. He's a uh, Riley's going to be assistant head coach. Doesn't actually have a position name to him yet, but I think he, uh, you know, will obviously help uh, Smith as a first-time head coach uh, make that adjustment. Sounds like Riley just has to break out the orange and black uh, Nike gear, and he's he's ready to go. That could either go really well for that new coach or horribly, horribly wrong. You know, it'd be interesting to see. That and I'm super interested to see how Arizona State's little experiment's going to go. Yeah, that that's that, that's crazy. Arizona State with Herm Edwards, I tell you, that whole whole approach actually sounds a little bit. I, I guess we'll find out more as we go forward. But how Riley as was kind of in the Nebraska position. Sometimes we would always ask, like he would say the right thing in the press conference, and then his offensive coordinator would do the opposite. Sometimes you wonder how much control Riley had over certain parts of the, the game plan. You know what I'm saying? Um, or over hiring, as, as we're finding out, or a lot of things. Yeah. 
that that was not a well-run program. It it looked like it was being better run from our view, but boy, the more you hear about it, it just wasn't. Yeah, I think maybe recruiting-wise and whatnot, they were doing some sure. good things, but I think the actual management of the, the day-to-day operations that produced good football weren't happening. We definitely um, know they did not produce good had... football. So with that being <laughs> yeah. the outcome, and something was wrong with the you can only now presume that they weren't doing the things behind yeah. the scenes. Something was not working. The ingredients or the recipe. Not sure. Yeah. Right. Yep. All right. Uh, <laughs> that was a nice little diversion, guys. But <laughs> let's... Uh, uh, see if we can wrap up the defensive side quick here. Let's see who else am I missing here. Uh, defensive line, I think a lot of us were hoping that John Perillo would, would get a look. But, again, the entire UCF staff comes over. Uh, Mike Dawson, uh, a lot of experience, actually, with, with Dawson, uh, comes over with Frost. You guys have any thoughts on, on what he might do um, recruiting-wise or, or coaching technique-wise? Not so much to his his coaching acumen or anything like that, but more about the Perella situation because I know how some people kind of were really rooting for that, myself included. But I do think the fact that the, they brought the entire staff, you know, that it kind of a it should take away any kind of like irritation that he didn't get interviewed or get hired. I mean, this this was like a unit they were trying to bring over, so nobody got cherry picked, nobody got left out. We didn't keep anybody for recruiting reasons or anything stupid, you know. It seemed like all very smart football yep. moves to keep everybody that he wanted that he had success with. So that's my only comment on that guy. I assume Frost obviously trusts him. And, you know, Honky, I was listening to the podcast last week, and I, and I, I too, need to go back and start looking at some of that. I want to see how they, they are playing the defensive line, if it's if it's a two-gap, which I don't think it is. or if, you know. But do you, have you looked at that at all since? I, I, I watched a little bit more of the, of the Memphis game. And they're coming off the ball hard enough on enough plays. I want to again. I want to break down, do a little more thorough breakdown that I post to, to Twitter afterwards. But um, it, it doesn't look like. I mean, they're not standing up and trying to play both sides of guys. So I, I just can't imagine that they're doing a lot of two gap. At least not what I was seeing. But I want to verify yeah, we, that. We've heard it's a, a far more aggressive three four style. So yes. I mean that's. That's uh, let's uh, that's a good transition to our D coordinator, right, Eric Chenander. Uh Another Iowa guy, uh, another three four guy, but uh, one that is um, trusted by Scott Frost. Uh, another Broyles uh, Award finalist. Uh, I think it was last year. Uh, definitely an up and comer in, in the the ranks. And it seems like his three four is more aggressive than Bobby D's. So. Uh, what do you think about Eric Chenander? Well, I, I if I'm think, saying that last name correct. Yeah, I, I think anytime you can get a, a you know a Broyles Award candidate who runs a three four from Iowa, you are guaranteed golden at Nebraska. There's so. no absolutely. chance of not success. I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> You're guaranteed this, perfect this is a hair. Guy I mean, and tucked it, in sweatpants. I said it a little. <laughs> <laughs> I said it a little bit with Ryan Held at, at running back, and and this really almost applies to all these coaches. And you were saying it too, Dave, where a lot of them have been with Frost for a while now. chenander has been with them since Northern Iowa. These guys yeah. have worked their, their ways up and everything. And so um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how this, this works as well. I, I, it's going to be a 3-4. I, I, I'm confident in that. In fact, I think we'll run three, more 3-4 than what we ran last year. Diaco kind of was, you know, we'll run you know, 50-50, 3-4 and 4-3. I think we're going to be – almost primarily 3-4, but that doesn't mean it's the same 3-4. Right. I, I, I've told a lot of people this. It, our, 
honestly, my opinion was our, our issue on defense wasn't a 4-3. It wasn't a 3-4. It was two-gap. That's what it was. And yeah, there was wasn't. the further we can get away yeah. from that, the further that we can get away from that, that, that read and react stand-up defense alignment or offense alignment trying to read and play both sides, the more that we can play one gap and just shoot through and cause penetration, cause havoc, you're, you'll give up some plays here or there, but, but you're also going to get sacks and you're going to get defensive – you know, defensive successful plays. And that's something where this is something, I guess, that here's three numbers I want to throw out. The defense that, that, that UCF had, they were 93rd in total defense. They were 53rd in scoring defense, and they were like 33rd in, in defensive efficiency. What that meant was is that they gave up a lot of yards, but they were out there on the field a lot. They were out there about five to six more possessions than, than Nebraska would have been just because of right. the way that the games were played. You expect more yards. They were about 50th in the country in scoring defense, I think 25 points a game, which actually isn't that terrible. And you expect a few more points just by being out there more, but 25 points wasn't terrible considering what they were scoring. That 30th in yeah. the country, that, that, that total defensive efficiency, that's when you start to factor in things like turnovers, sacks. If you're going to be out there five to six more times a game, I expect more sacks. I expect more turnovers. I expect more fumbles. And that's where where UCF became better. They were a top 15 team in the country in turnovers, takeaways, I believe. So you take the good and the bad with this style of play that we're going to play. But um, but I, I think it's going to be an aggressive defense. And that's where I'll be the first one to admit, I just thought a year ago I thought we were going to be more aggressive under Diaco. I didn't understand his style of defense. I don't think he – I don't you think Diaco came one, in here and didn't do what he – I don't think <laughs> Diaco <laughs> – I don't think Diaco did something that, that – that, should have been unexpected. I, I blame myself. I didn't realize this is that was the style of defense that he was going to run. He didn't have the players he wanted to run it, but he it wasn't an aggressive style of defense. It really wasn't. Right, right. And that, it's everything that's in front of you. I want I want to watch more UCF before I just fully go into this. But I, I I'm I'm saying that I think that this is more aggressive style of three four than what we were seeing a year sure. ago. Yeah, Boomer, you're trying to jump in there. Oh, I was just going to kind of piggyback on Honky's point there about, you know, yards allowed and stuff like that in the game. And, again, if you look at a defensive, um, for the defensive side of thing, the points per play that we allowed in UCF versus Nebraska comparison, um, Nebraska averaged uh, .523 points per play that we allowed on defense, so that's not very good. Uh, compared to UCF, they were only averaging .321, so, again, that's – Quite a bit more, you know, effective on defense. Sure, they ran more plays, but they allowed. So a lot we gave up points. a point every two plays. Is that right? Essentially, yes, that's what that Jeez. amounts to. About every two wow. plays an opponent ran, they they would get a point out of that. And the turnover margin again, uh, UCF was a uh, plus two point five, and we averaged about one turnover a game. So again, I mean, they're and we're talking much more about a UCF team that gave up uh, fifty five points to <clears throat> Memphis and forty two yes. to South Florida, excluding those two games. And the Austin P game where they won seventy three to thirty three, yeah, and they and were they playing scrubs for most scrubs of the, game. the entire yeah. second half. They only gave up no more than twenty four points for any of the other games. So yeah. uh, you have a couple, a couple of really good offenses there in Memphis and South Florida. Um, and so honestly, if we were only giving up twenty four points or less per game with the offense that you think that Frost will bring, you are gonna you are gonna win quite a bit. So. Yeah, if, yeah. It, I think if people give Memphis and South Florida the credit that, that is due to them, they were good offenses on top 25 teams. They were top 25 programs, and they were yep. the schools that, that UCF, because of the way the hurricane worked and because they didn't have a bye week, they ended up playing 11 straight weeks. 
If you want to make excuses yeah. of being tired or injured or whatever, I mean, the last two games of an 11 streak, 11 week stretch of, of game straight is when they played the two best teams, really playing at their best, mm-hmm. UCF and, and Memphis. And so, overall, defensively, what they did to Navy, uh, you know, a, a, a triple option team like that, it would have been nice if the if the, you know, it would have been nice if the Hurricane didn't come. Period. But beyond that if the hurricane didn't sure. affect the fact that they didn't play Georgia Tech it would have been nice to see how they would have played against against uh, the ACC team but um, I'm not as concerned about the defense as, as I've heard some be at least yeah it's definitely a little bit of wait and see and it can't be much worse <laughs> than last year's team right yeah. well so, the other good thing about those guys uh, you know they do uh, produce the turnovers too but they're used to being paired with an offense that plays that fast too so like Yep. They'll they'll have an idea of how they need to be for conditioning, you know, the quick turnarounds, all that stuff. They're they're gonna be ready to play a lot of snaps and, and Chenander's, you know, got experience getting his guys ready for games like that. So they should be all right. Yeah. yeah. And our yeah. last Dave, our last coach is who Jovan uh, DeWitt. DeWitt. So he's outside linebackers and is is he special teams as well? And yes, special, he's teams. special teams. Yep. Coach That's correct. Well. Mm-hmm. Might be one of the smartest guys on the staff, right? Uh I think he could work for NASA or something like that. Well, who was telling the story yeah, before? He, was it you he, or Boomer? You know, we always like to reference our Rise and Conquer series. You know, and quite frankly, that's just an amazing resource to look at. Your, I mean, when every single coach is coming, it's fantastic. But anyway, there was an episode there where um, they, illustrating how smart this guy is. He, Yes, Dave, he, uh, he could have worked at NASA. Uh, but anyway, uh, throughout the recruiting process, he was a little frustrated with the, the, the slow – uh, process of sharing information with the rest of the coaching staff. So he developed an app one night on his phone to be able to share a spreadsheet that automatically updates to all the other coaches and um, just, you know, created it, put a little UCF logo on it, sent it out for everybody to have. So like when one night's work. So that's the kind of guy we're getting. Kind of cool. Yeah. Exciting. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's got that typical uh, football uh, bachelor's degrees in physics and mathematics. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's easy to always – Handle that type of. Honky, you should uh, see if you can you know, know, talk to the college workload. engineering. Uh oh, connections, broadcast <laughs> interview. Oh, yeah. that's right. Uh, all right, yeah. guys. I think you know. Actually, one guy else I'd like to mention before we wrap this up is strength and conditioning, which has been yeah. a bit of a, a topic lately. On like, you know, why were we not as strong and as we should have been weak in the trenches? Uh, Zach Duval, who is a Nebraska guy, was here. Uh, under uh, Boyd Epley, I believe, and, and when Scott Frost was here as a player, has done lots of stuff, uh, including some private sector stuff, but uh, was a UCF strength and conditioning coach, seems to be very much in the cutting edge, and is now back at Nebraska. Honky, what do you think about Zach Duvall? I, I think everything you just said there seems, you know, but he posted a video earlier today of an offense alignment at UCF that's jumping up you know, on top of like a a four foot tall box and just showing the agility of a guy that's 300 pounds and always doing so that in football. It's just, we were talking about <laughs> those, yeah. those jumping linemen, man. We, those are great. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we were talking about last week. Every, scheme. every new strength staff always comes in, has a little bit different emphasis and focus. Yeah. And so um, I, I'm sure he'll do a fine job. I, I don't, I don't want to sit there and say that the last strength staff didn't do a good job, but, and so, you know, I kind of want to focus a little bit, you know, last year I talked about last year's staff being on defense being one of the the best defensive staffs, and and I still believe that individually these are really good coaches. Perella coaching D line, um, 
you know, at the time it was Bob Elliott, of course, coaching safeties. We had Williams. We had we had uh, Bray coaching linebackers, and obviously you had the what uh, what Diaco brought to DC. Uh, all the accolades. It was a great staff, and individually, those are great coaches. But the chemistry wasn't there. I think that's the thing that we figured out is that the chemistry was not there. For those fans out there that are really concerned about bringing everyone over from Central Florida, it's the chemistry piece of it. These guys work well together. And that's the thing that really excites me about all of them coming back here. So it's not so much, I know we just went through each guy individually, but it's not that any one of them is great or bad or good, you know, anything like that. It's just they work well together. And that's the thing that I think that that's why Frost brought them here. I think that's why they're going to work well. And, and that's also going to speed up the transitions. These guys know the language. They know how to work together. And, and I think they'll be, they'll be, you know, really good coming out of the shoot working together. Yeah, I think, that, I think that trickles down to Duvall, too, because he knows how Frost wants his players developed. You know, so that strength staff should be able to create, uh, you know, a program or a plan to make these guys ready to go. One interesting thing I've, I've heard they do, they don't do a bunch of, uh, oh, like cardio training or anything like that because they run so much in practice that becomes a lot of their a lot of their cardio training, so... I yeah, know. I think that the it'll be interesting to see how they look at the end of spring. You know, are they going to come in heavy so they can work it all off, or are they going to come in huh. lean and and then just work on pace? So I'm I'm going to be really interested to see what they look like before, after. You know, maybe they do a good job of maintaining. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it'll definitely be different. Yeah, you know, I think you know Duvall is is big on actually generating you know speed out out of his you know uh, strength program. So I think it's pretty interesting. You know, it's not just how fast you run naturally. It's like you can actually develop. Uh, that speed. So, I, uh, to wrap this up, then, guys, uh, you know, to to be fair, uh, with Riley, he brought a large portion of his Oregon State staff over, and a lot of people were probably critical of that. I think, to be clear, I think we're saying it, the difference this time is that you have a coach coming in who just went twelve and zero. Right? Yeah. I mean, when you ha- go twelve and zero, things change dramatically, and. If you can bring that entire staff over, they've got the mojo working for them right now. Is that fair to say? Yeah, you have a staff that went twelve and zero, but exactly, yeah. you have a tw- you have a head coach and an entire staff, and that's that's the difference right there. Nobody's even learning a new position, really. I mean, the no. coach. Everybody's doing the same job, the exact same job they have out at a UCF. So I mean, that's. That's got to save so much time. And you can see that, too, because how fast did they hit the road? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they hit the – before they hit the ground, they were recruiting. This staff, just leave them alone. They're, they're working just yep. fine. Yep, absolutely. All right, that's a great segue, guys. Let's take a break, and we'll be back with some scarlet-colored glasses on the recruiting front. Your number one, Husker fans. Auto Owners Insurance and Odepal Insurance is a winning combination. We'll work with you to insure your home, auto, business, and life to keep everything you value safe, sound, and secure. Auto Owners Insurance, the no-problem people. Call Autopol Insurance in York, Nebraska at 402-362-3380 and tell Alan the Redcast sent you. And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. All right, next on the Go Big Redcast is Scarlet Colored Glasses, all things uh, Husker football program. Uh, you know, Honky, uh, you've been uh, active on Twitter here. We got a couple of polls out there right now. How, how are those looking? Uh, yeah, in the last couple of weeks here, we did one with uh, what is the minimum in you needs to do next year on the field to be a success in your eyes. And the Redcasters with 625 votes, 
They came back and said that uh, the bowl game was most important. 53% said making a bowl game was was uh, what they need to see for success. Uh, having a winning home record, that was 20%. Uh, winning the West was 15%, so basically making the title game there. And then wow. win either at Iowa or Wisconsin, winning one of those two big ones against our, our divisional opponents, that was 12%. And then uh, just this last week, we just completed our – biggest poll i don't know how to say that without sounding weird but our biggest poll um who starts at qb for nu in 2018 and not most surprised. successful poll would that yeah, be the right that's right <laughs> you're trying to say probably a better way of saying it um highest amount of responses <laughs> highest turnout in a poll most popular like seems like there's a lot of ways you could say there's it. there's actually a lot of ways you could say <laughs> yeah. it yeah. most biggest. ways yeah. seems like you just wanted to say the humongous poll we just had. You're, I mean, is there a lot of options on this poll? You're all mocking I mean. me is, is, is what I'm getting at. Um, <laughs> but with 959 votes, this is that's a that's a red cast record. Um, we've for kind largest of, poll. Yeah, our largest poll. Who starts for, at QB for NU in 2018? Uh, 45% said uh, Tristan Jebbia. 36% said someone not on the roster yet. 11% said uh, P.O.B., and 8% said Tanner Lee. So, really, looking towards next year, um, you know, it's pretty much people think it's either Jebby or it's someone not on the roster yet. Intriguing. Not on the roster. That actually helps us uh, move into uh, some recruiting talk, I suppose, because if we do not have a quarterback on the roster who would be starting next year, that person could be a true freshman in – uh, Adrian Martinez, who was the very first offer of the uh, Scott Frost era. Yeah, it sounds like he might have got offered at, um, uh, while the coaches were in the air flying to Lincoln almost uh, after that UCF game. Uh, Mac, I think you're uh, kind of uh, excited about this guy. What do you think? Yeah, baby magic. I think we're going to start calling him that. <laughs> a magic. Baby magic. No, I'm just baby kidding. Baby magic. No, he, he, he is a real... A true dual threat guy, six three, you know, great frame, really strong arm, and and he's and he's fast. I mean, explosive, uh, runs hard, pretty good balance. I mean, kind of the perfect sort of trigger man for what this offense brings um, on the recruiting front. I think he is so good, and I think he is in, in fact um, so very high on us that that is why Terry Wilson, you know, ended up being a Wildcat this week and not a Husker. You know, interesting. You know. His his history with the Huskers is kind of funny too, you know, committing to us with Riley, and then going yeah. to. But then you know he goes to Oregon. He's he's already been coached by Frost at the time, and yeah, and he didn't work out I there. Agree. So I mean, I, I thought it was kind of interesting that you know people thought, well, then he'll work out here. I mean, he's already kind of not won the job once with this guy. So, um, but one one, yeah, one other mean, thing he, about that too, I don't, I don't think we should just rule out Patrick O'Brien just yet. I thought that poll result was interesting that he got so low for results I, I think that just speaks to people's excitement sure. level for everything that is different than last year and I understand yeah. that too yeah. but but Patrick O'Brien um, as far as like kids on the staff right now ran the closest facsimile to this offense in high school and then but well I can't say that for sure I don't know about Andrew Bunch who you know yeah but most likely though I think that's your uh, a good point he he ran a similar offense down in, in Southern California, yeah, right? Yeah, very much so. And put up huge now, stats uh, in Jebbia it. Jebbia actually also ran something of, of this nature and actually was about the only person who carried the ball, period, in that Calabasas <laughs> offense. Right. But uh, So both of these guys could have have some of this um, skill set. All right. And if you really look at uh, Milton McKenzie or McKenzie Milton, 
right? I mean, he, he had, had some, some big chunk plays this year, but it's not like he's running 20 times a game. It's not like a – I mean, he's a, running quarterback is an important part of this uh, offense, but it's not a primary. Right, he, he wasn't Robert, Robert Griffin out there. You know, he was – he was a no. primary passer first. That's how they did it. They they used him as an option, and, it, and he was a threat, and they had to respect him. But it wasn't like he was tearing him up and down. So that which is great, man, because that means this offense can function and, and do well without having to have a super. Because it's so hard to find the fantastic runner and a good passer. You know that's difficult, but it's not terribly hard to find a good athlete. You know at, that can play quarterback, and I think, like I said, I do think we might have a couple on the on the roster right now. Yeah, I think I think yeah. Milton at at UCF, he's a good example. I mean, we're talking a 5'11", 180 pound dude. So, uh, any of the concerns being about, generous there, probably. Yeah, any of the concerns about Jebby just being too small. I mean, that's this isn't necessarily an offense that requires you having to have a a, a large QB. Uh, O'Brien is a bigger guy, um, but yep. I think what we have right now, currently on staff with Jebby and O'Brien, are two guys that um, certainly kind of fit the same mold at least athletically is what you would see with a uh, with a Milton it's when you start to get into to players like Martinez uh, potential of there's there's some still some other guys out there I'm just curious a guy like Loxley who is from the, the Juco from from uh, Iowa, uh, Western. Iowa Western I'm just curious if they if they try to do something to build up depth immediately in spring there is value in having guys here when you have any transition, anytime you're switching an offense, switching a defense, and you have guys that can be here in the spring, you're essentially relatively s- small QB room, right? Right correct. now, correct? Right? Yeah, and right Andrew now, Dunch is making your fourth guy, and mm-hmm. you have no guarantees that Lee would be back. We're all kind of making that assumption that Lee's going to make the jump, right? I guess in my mind right now, I'd like, I wouldn't mind, I'd like Lee actually to come back. I, w- I really would. And I guess I, I think of Lee as having kind of two options right now. He has, I think he has like six credit hours to graduate. If that's the case, then you know he could stick around in, in, in spring. He could go through a spring practice with this, see if it works for him or not. If not, he graduates by the end of the year, and he could be a graduate transfer and go somewhere else. That's, that's an option. Yep. Another yep. option is cut your losses and just go pro, get into the uh, get into the, the combines right now. And I have no I have no doubt that you know with a you know, no pads and a helmet on, he'll look as good in a combine as he did at the Manning camps. So yeah. I, I think that that could get him into the draft somewhere. I'm not saying sure. first day well, or second day. But look, the NFL, somewhere. Case Keenum is starting for the Vikings in a playoff team, and he doesn't even yeah. get drafted, for God's sakes, right? Exactly. So so assuming Lee isn't there, if it's if it's and POB, then I think what you need to do is you need to build up the depth of that of that room and and i'm talking right away even in spring and so if that requires you know a juco guy if that requires a transfer we've all heard about noah vedral getting out you know his name being thrown out Makes he could a lot be of someone sense. that could be out there in spring now he wouldn't play next year because of transfer rules but at least he'd be somebody in the in the, in the quarterback the room. room and then at once you hit the end of this this uh, school year you still have the potential of of uh, actual transfers guys like joe burrow from from right. ohio state so there, I mean, that's how you build depth, just in the manner of one off season. And I think the nice thing with this Martinez uh, kid, though, he is an early enrollee, so he would be here for spring, which would be, yep. you know, yeah. a big benefit to us. Now, he wouldn't be able to lead like what you're talking about, as far as a guy who knows the offense. But yeah, um, yeah, Vedral would be nice to have, just because he's been in that QB room already with these guys. I, you know, I mean, 
you, know, you follow the recruiting as closely as, as possible. I haven't heard any mention of Kyle Loxley actually from the coaching staff, like they've talked to him or anything. Uh, anybody next, else? Next to none. I, I I'm it's hypothesizing curious. as much as anything. I'm I'm as as much as anything. I'm trying to come up with somebody that would help add to the depth of that QB room in spring. But to your point, Dave, I haven't heard anything saying that that he's yep. even being pursued. Yeah, and they'll clearly go hard after Max Dugan, I would imagine, for 2019. But yeah, uh, he's getting offers from everyone. So, uh, all right, well, let's talk about some of the guys we quickly landed here. Right, we got got some guys uh, right after the big um, first weekend of, of visitors. Uh, Honky, you excited about anybody in particular there? I'm the wrong guy to ask there because I never put guys to muscle memory or, or you know when it until they sign until they're here. I so the names and all that. I know we got a receiver. I know we got a tight end slash receiver believe, guy. Right? Yeah. I know we lost a receiver. I think Moore or something. We lost um, Josh Moore. Yeah. You know, uh, the point is when you lose guys, and I, I posted a, a tweet a couple days ago. It's you know you win recruiting, you win some, you lose some, right? And and, uh, and we'll just keep retweeting that throughout the next two months. So it's more the point of not to, to freak out when we lose somebody and not to freak out when we get somebody. We'll get the guys that we want. Here's one thing I will say about the guy that we got. We got a 6'5 dude who's like 200 pounds, and they think he's a wide receiver or tight end. I don't know his name. Justin McGriff. Is that McGriff? Okay, awesome. Guess what? You know what I like about that? I like that we're running an offense right now that it doesn't have to be so precise that this guy is definitely a tight end or he's definitely this. You know what? Yeah. He's an athlete, and we're going to get him, and he might end up being this this flex receiver. He might be a tight end. He might be a number of things, but we're going to get the kid. We're going to bring him onto campus. He may redshirt. He may not. All those things. But this is an offense that isn't so precise anymore to where – if you are two inches too short, or if you if you know if you if if one little thing is wrong, we're gonna we're not gonna offer your left foot is a quarter inch shorter than it, your right. You're out of here. It's, right? it's ridiculous. I, I coached a kid. I coached a kid about ten years ago that didn't get an offer from from the Callahan staff, and he was dominant in, in, in a in a in an O line you know doing O line stuff. He was the fastest of them. He was dominating against four star guys. He wasn't gonna get an offer because he was two inches too short, and he ended up eventually being a Husker. Uh, with the, with the Pelini staff coming in, but that was the difference. Like I don't want I don't want a staff that's so precise that's, that if you're a good player and you're one inch off, that we're not going to give you something. That's just let's get good players in here, and some of that starts yep. with the guy down there at Lincoln Southeast, right? So, anyways, now I hear you. Yeah, Mac, you have anything? Yeah, going back to you know another another commit that we got that and 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 talking about the the flexibility with the yeah. staff that Jerron Woodyard. Uh, the Juco guy, you know, they, they've kind of talked about him, how, and, and I think Husker fans are going to have to kind of adjust their, their thinking about traditional Agreed. position roles anymore, because a lot of wide receivers will be lining up at running back and vice versa. And that's kind of what they, they were talking about doing with this guy. And he has got, you can see it, you, you know, we all knew it was coming, but if you look at this guy's film, his speed jumps off quickly you know we're going to be a fast team we're going to re- recruit fast guys and and we're going to use them in a lot of different ways so like you said matt like that mcgriff he's he's got a perfect frame to maybe grow into a tight end but maybe he doesn't and he just becomes a mismatch in other ways um, but they know what they're doing they know exactly their their body type that they want to get and they're proving that they can already 
I mean, they've landed three guys yeah. already. That's insane. I think if you watch the UCF game, Adrian Killens Jr., the running back, lined up as wide receiver half the time, right? And then he'd, he'd move in and everything. So, I mean, yeah, the flexibility of, of these players are going to be paramount. So it's going to be very, very different than what we've seen. Um, all right, guys, anything else in specific with uh, recruiting you want to touch on? I think uh, I'm going to transition a little bit to the, the coaching staff and how they're managing two programs at one time here. I, I will just say this. It's a Tuesday night as we're recording this. Wednesday night, uh, I believe it's, it's going to be walk-on Wednesday tomorrow, and they're, they're bringing on a number of kids. And, um, and so this is kind of where you get that local flavor. Um, there's going to be a number of, of local kids probably being uh, offered walk-ons tomorrow night or I guess Wednesday night. And, um, and that's just that goes back a little bit to, you know, when, when Frost was brought in, when he did the press conference, and he said, hey, we don't want to lose kids to, to out-of-state schools. I've heard a couple of radio programs go off on this, and I think a little bit erroneously. They've gone off where it's like Frost is saying we're never going to lose a kid to another school. Well, look, what, we, what he doesn't want to do is he doesn't want to lose kids that are D1 players to other D1 schools. That, that Always base it with that. We never want to lose the Noah fans. We never want to lose the Harrison right. Phelps. Outside of that, do everything you humanly possibly can to bring in walk-ons. And I understand that walk-ons, there's, there's challenges with bringing that in when you get when you have offers to North Dakota States and all those other things. But you know what? School's expensive. It, it's, it starts there, and, and I'm curious to see what kind of walk-on class we can bring in. And, and I personally, I, 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 I have a few connections with, with, with one or so, and, and, and I'm curious to see if we can bring a few of those in. So um, that's, you know, I... I that's that's the part that I think Frost is talking about. Let's not lose kids that, that are going to be playing at other schools against us. Bryson Williams is an example. And right. then outside of that, what what other kids can we bring in locally? So we're going to get some yeah, good Let's make sure the door's open, kids. right? Yep, we're going to get right. some good national kids, and we're also, let's not lose those local ones. Yep, amen to that. I think right. a lot of that will just be solved, too, if we just show honest and sincere interest early in these Nebraska kids. Yep. You know, yeah. instead of playing this, because I know this has driv- drove you nuts for years, Honk, is just this slow playing of, of local kids. Hey, just and, be honest uh, with them. Like, look, yeah. we don't have a scholarship probably, but, I mean, we'd make you a preferred walk-on, and yeah. our walk-on program does all these things for you, and, I mean, it's an important part of our success, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, a big part of this is is winning, right? I mean, the walk-on yeah. program will get stronger when we're winning, if we're going ten and two, eleven and one, twelve and zero, guys that are like, oh, I'm thinking I'm going to take that scholarship at North Dakota or South Dakota State or whatever, or I could walk on and have a chance to play for Nebraska and and go to New Year's Six bowl games and do big stuff. It, it, it's far more compelling than yeah what you have right now, which is a program that hasn't been winning. Absolutely, and, and high schools in Nebraska follow suit of what goes on in Lincoln. So when you have a school that's running triple option back in the 90s, high schools run that too. It's a lot easier for high schools to follow suit and run this style of offense that Frost is running than the, than the West Coast pro style. So yeah. I think when year by year by year goes by and coaching clinic by coaching clinic goes by, you're going to see more kids ready to come out of Nebraska high schools to run some of the stuff because they're going to be running it earlier and earlier. It's going to – it's just – it, it might I'm intrigued take a little with bit that. of time, but, that, but that's the really thing that can happen. Yeah. yeah, you can see a lot of high school football that starts running more of this offense. Absolutely. And I think that would be pretty interesting to see how that plays out. 
Uh, all right, guys. So let's go w- with the coaching staff here, just really quickly. This isn't a, a we've we've been saying it's been unusual for a while. Uh, obviously, Scott Frost has uh, an allegiance to his players there at UCF, who wanted to make sure they had the best opportunity to to win their bowl game. It is the Peach Bowl against Auburn, uh, and it's also unusual that an entire staff comes over to a new school, right? Uh, we've had this experience here several years, just three years ago, right, where Barney Cotton was our intern and Tim Beck is still the OC, and we go and play use, uh, SC in a bowl game, and, and then that staff is exits and, and Riley comes in. We have a situation here at UCF where all 10 coaches from UCF has come to Nebraska, and you can't expect a new coaching staff, which is Josh Heupel, who was the Missouri OZ, uh, OC, to come in and, and institute his, his system in three weeks. And uh, so, I mean, they're trying to make the best of this and have uh, the now Nebraska former UCF staff uh, coach the bowl game. They're down there right now. Uh, how do you think this is going to play out, guys? I got to tell you, I feel like it's got to be just a little bit hairy on, on both sides, especially with the recruiting thing going on right now. We, we're sure. clearly targeting UCF uh targets and then we've actually had a guy decommit from them and commit to us but i mean it everybody understands that kids don't really commit to places anymore they commit to staff so that's just kind of how recruiting goes uh i I will say you know in nebraska's history we've had some in-state kids kind of come to the program but that's that's neither here nor there but um yeah it it's a nice built-in excuse too if the bowl game doesn't go well is that the preparation was sort of weird but I don't know, man. Hats off to them if they pull this off because I, I can't imagine how difficult it would be. Sure. I think it's different with the uh, early signing period too, right? That, that, that adds a layer to it for sure. But, you know, one thing I, I thought they – the Frost brought this up. If you listen to his press conference earlier today about how they were they were handling this bull, this bull prep, you know, he said he was going to give the team a week off anyway because they didn't get a bye week. And then they always practice in the morning anyway, and then they would spend that evening either recruiting or game planning, which is exactly what they're doing. The only difference is that they were recruiting this for Nebraska. So, you know, if people are all worked up about how they're splitting time, I think they can just calm down a little bit on that. Yeah, absolutely. And Heupel's doing the recruiting for UCF anyway. So, uh, yeah, it may not be ideal, but it's not impossible to make this work. So, Sweep left. All right, guys, we are going sweep left following college football, wide-angle view of all things uh, in that landscape. Uh, Boomer, um, we had the Heisman Trophy ceremony this Saturday night. Uh, It was not a um, very popular event on the Nielsen ratings. Uh, They seem to be uh, getting less and less uh, uh, attention these days. Uh, you have a poll for us, though, or a, uh, a trivia question, I mean, on Heisman? Trivia time. Yeah, I do. I was contemplating the Heisman and just how boring it's become. It's We all know it's just uh, now an award for the uh, quarterback or running back on a highly effective team that particular season, usually who's already yep. got the preseason hype. So I, I'm just kind of curious. <clears throat> Went back and looked. And my question to you is, uh, how many Heisman Trophy winners were on non-winning teams for the season? All right. I'll definitely say Paul Horning. Darn it, you stole mine. Uh, yeah. Um, Roger Staubach was on a good Navy team. 
Was Niall Kinnick on a winning Iowa team? I'm just curious. I don't know. Yeah, I presume so. I the presume- one that comes to mind immediately is Paul Horning. Um, and it definitely hasn't happened in a long yeah. time because, to your point, it's now a popularity contest on the best player on one of your top five teams, essentially. Yeah. So. I, we won't bore people with this, but Dave and I can at least go all the way back to probably – 75 76 at least with with uh oh yeah with, yeah you know the heisman guys and none of them would have been on losing records so that is correct I, i'm gonna say one okay is that our final answer yes that's good uh, enough well that that is correct with uh paul horning he was on the 1956 notre dame team that went two and eight However, there was also in 1935 Jay Burwanger for the Chicago Maroons, a team that went four and four. Oh so they come on! Did not have a winning record. Four and four. Yeah. The Maroons. Otherwise, that's it. The, that's the very first Heisman winner. Yeah, Jay Burwanger. Yeah, they went four and four. So okay, was... so who finished second in the second Heisman pick? In the second Heisman pick? Yes, I think it's from we're talking the 1936 guy. season. Is that what you want? Yes. Yeah. Who finished second? Oh jeez! Um, my word! I'm gonna. Is it uh, Guy Chamberlain or Ed Weir? Or uh, he'd have been dead Which long by one? then. Sam no, Francis. No, no, Sam Francis. Yeah, Sam Francis. Yeah, Francis. yeah that would have been go. it. Good. I I get yeah. a question in. But yeah, come on, the Chicago Maroons. That's like, were they in the UC? US no, I actually, no, they were the Big Ten. They were one of our Big just, Ten brethren back then. I just <laughs> thought he actually they they had a winning I record. I, I didn't yeah. know. <laughs> but Paul Horning is well known as as yeah. uh, I mean he won the Heisman and they went two and eight. I don't yeah. know how this the happened. The only other the only team that's close to had a losing record was uh, the 1969 Oklahoma Sooners with Steve Owens who went Steve uh, Owens. six and four. Otherwise, wow. everyone's had uh, three losses or less. The Heisman Trophy winner. So it definitely is a popularity contest on teams that win a lot. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, well, that Heisman Trophy um, went to Baker Mayfield, who Oklahoma now has. What is it, five or six of these things? Uh, we got to start winning a few on our side to get that back even, guys. But uh, they've had three, I think, in the last you know two decades. They've had three Heisman winners since they won their last national championship. Um, so, uh, but, uh, to your point, ratings are down. People aren't really paying much attention any longer. The, uh, Heisman, the past Heisman winners are expressing their, uh, kind of just, uh, of, uh, of, of the, the foundation, et cetera. So really interesting stuff. Uh, Yeah. Uh, all right, guys, um, let's move on to a bowl season, huh? Bowl predictions. Uh, well, let's hockey. Do you have anything on coaching carousel? Do you want to wrap that up at all? Anything that you want to? Not too much. I mean, I know last week we talked about, you know, obviously the mess is at Tennessee and everything, but it sounds like some of these are now starting to, to get cleared up. So Oregon, you know, Taggart left as expected, went to FSU, and then Oregon replaces him with uh, is it Mario Cristobal. Is that the right? That the house. Correct. Who is the guy that ended up at Tennessee? Was it is it Pruitt? Was, yeah, Pruitt, Pruitt Jeremy Alabama, Pruitt. Alabama, Alabama, DC. So yeah. the the SEC recycles SEC. That that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Except for Arkansas, who takes uh, the SMU coach. Uh, what was his Chad Morris? Chad Morris, who was at Clemson as the OC before he came to SMU. Mm. So and, basically, I, mean, I put. Put that into context really quick, Conkley. Uh, Arkansas is 
probably relatively excited about Chad Morris, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chad Morris' SMU team lost to UCF this year. Yep. Chad Morris, I think, has a losing record at SMU over three years. Went 7-5 and five this year. Yep. That's who Arkansas got as their coach. And we got Scott Frost. Yep. Right? And, I mean. And, and we didn't have a plane fly down to Fayetteville and come back empty without Houston nuts. So, I mean, we should <laughs> – every Nebraska fan should be counting you know, their – their blessings right now for all that, right? Um, yep, yeah. Yeah. So, right. it really, it, the only other thing, Dave, uh, that I can even think of is is coaching. You know, coaches that that are maybe still available. Obviously, we, you know, you were talking about earlier, Boomer, the the craziness of Herm Edwards being at ASU for for the life of me. I, I don't, I will never understand that. But but Sumlin, yeah, is apparently probably okay with taking a year off from his ten million dollars. Yeah. He's and less miles. pocket change to spend, so he's probably okay. For Dude, I spend my time on a beach for a year, man. Yeah. yeah, and less miles probably doesn't sound like he's going anywhere for this. No, no. So, but that—that's just kind of recapping the the coaching carousel, and and again, Nebraska did itself well this year in that in that regard. We finally won something, guys. Woo! Uh, we'll take it, right? We'll take it. All right, guys. Well, uh, we have the poll pick them out there already, uh, and we're encouraging all of our listeners to, to join us. Um, I don't think we're going to run through every single single one of the bowls. I think, what is it, 35 bowls now this year, something like that? 40, yeah. Um, nice. Yeah. yeah 40 I mean, the, some, some of these names are absolutely ridiculous. The, uh, the Cherubundi Tart <laughs> Cherry. Bokeratomble. I don't know what that means. I have no idea. I don't know what that product is. But the well, that's the media of the bowl, Dave. We're gonna find out, aren't we? Uh, so. The bad boy mowers Gasparilla Bowl uh, <laughs> sounds pretty awesome. Uh, but yeah, there's there's some interesting uh, names this year for certain. Uh, but uh, there is some pretty good matchups. I'll be honest with you. I mean, the the New Year's Six in particular, I think, has some some pretty solid. Uh, ranked versus ranked. Uh, so I think you're seeing a little bit of the committee work uh, pay off here. I mean, we, we can uh, complain about who, who gets that fourth spot, whether you believed it should have been Alabama or not. But the advantage of the, the committee here is you're getting some pretty good of the uh, pretty good matchups. Uh, so, for example, if we're looking at uh, the Big Ten, we get Penn State uh, against Washington in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, two ten and two teams should be a good matchup there. Uh, Wisconsin against Miami, uh, Miami at home essentially. Uh, battle of contrasting styles there, obviously though. Um, you've got obviously the UCF versus Auburn matchup, and that's in the Peach Bowl and then the new new dome, which is amazing. Uh, let's see LSU Notre Dame. And uh, then we actually have uh, USC Ohio State, right? Is that that's the uh, game? That's the game that I'm yeah. excited about, Dave. I mean, that's that's anybody's Rose Bowl every year. You know, you would dream to have that game, and and obviously it's you know it's yeah, not that's the a Rose Cotton Bowl, Bowl so. and that's early too. That's actually I think on the on the 29th. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, um, and then let's see what else we got. Obviously, you have uh, Georgia, Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl, and then Clemson, Alabama uh, in the Sugar. Um, Honky's already called out his favorite game he want, he's looking forward to. Mac Boomer, you have one of those in particular that you're uh, looking forward to? Uh, 
Mostly just the UCF game for me. Yeah, and as far as Big Ten Bowls, I am kind of curious to watch what Purdue does. They're kind of one of those up-and-coming teams. They're certainly going to be a little more offensively, you know, pass-heavy, I think, compared to the rest of the Big Ten. I am curious to see how well they do against Arizona, so that's definitely one I, I kind of want to keep an eye on. I kind of like watching the more obscure bowls anyway. Yeah, Purdue-Arizona, That's that should be a good matchup. Yeah. Um, I, I, don't, a, I don't want to watch Iowa-Boston College. That, no, well, I know that one. I've, I've written that one off already. That sounds for horrible. Sure. I, you know, I will say one thing about the Big Ten Bowl matchups this year is I guess if there is any positive to uh, no Big Ten team making the playoffs, it's that we actually get better, I guess, more even matchups than we normally Correct. do I in bowl agree. games because usually we end up with, you know, a team or two in the playoffs and then we're it ends up being like the number three SEC team paired against number, you know, six in the Big Ten. And we get mauled in all those bowl games and look terrible as a result. This is the first time in a long while, I think, it, the matchups seem a lot more even. Yeah, So I let's hope, let's I mean, do hope they go out and win these games, which would be nice. You got Michigan versus a very beatable South Carolina team. I don't know. Yeah. I yeah, barely that's... even see South Carolina play. Wisconsin, I think, is just the better team over Miami overall. We'll see. But, I mean, that could be – you know, the Washington-Penn State, that, that could be an interesting game. But I think, I think that's doable. Um, I think you've got uh, Northwestern against Kentucky. That's a winnable game. Uh, I mean, Iowa, BC, BC is probably going to be easier to get more fans there. Uh, that's the Pinstripe Bowl in New York City, but um, I, I don't think BC is going to. Well, Rutgers gives Iowa. us that New York market, Dave. So there'll be plenty. Oh of yeah, Big Ten right. I forgot about that. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, you got Washington State, and Michigan State in the uh, Holiday Bowl. I mean. That's actually a pretty good matchup right there, you know. I mean, I, I could. That's, that's fair. So yeah, there's a, a lot of a lot of games out there that I think are are winnable for the Big Ten this year. And um, well, one of <laughs> Nebraska's not on that yeah. list. But, well, and to and to uh, Boomer's point earlier too, I guess this is one of the fun things about bowl season. It's contrasting styles. I mean, Michigan State, Washington. State, yeah, that's just a fun mm-hmm. game to watch. Or. Or, or Wisconsin-Miami, it's just a fun game to watch for no other reason than it's two teams that are going to go about their business two completely different ways. It's the absolute opposite of the NFL where everyone does the same thing. I mean, these are yep. these are teams that are going to do it differently, and, and we'll just see who wins it, you know? Yeah, and that's kind of and that's even one of the the non Big Ten bowls that I'm kind of interested to watch. It's the Liberty Bowl with Iowa State and Memphis. I think that'll yep. be just kind of fun to watch. We can talk contrasting styles yeah. again. Yep. Let's see how the AAC does against. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's not a great Big Twelve team, but it's still one with a hot coach sure. and Memphis gets a watch. home game there. Essentially, Speaking of right? that, basically, does, yeah. So who, yeah, who it is. South, yeah. Who does South Florida play? Oh, well, Texas Tech. Yeah, that'll be a good okay. game yeah. too as well. I, yeah, the AAC's really got a chance to make a statement. Yeah, so. Yeah, you have uh, hockey's favorite team, Wyoming, taking on Central Michigan <laughs> I in think, uh, Idaho. I think they're my forty-point pick <laughs> out of forty games. I think they're my forty-point pick. <laughs> oh dear! They I, should have a, a good fan base there. They can actually drive to Boise, opposed to Central yeah. Michigan. Like, on, you know, on my bold pick, I'm, I'm pretty sure I have them at forty. If not, they're they're in the upper thirties. I, I can't remember exactly. They I, also have uh, UAB going. Uh, and playing Ohio, Frank Solich uh, in uh, the Bahamas Bowl. So Frankie will be on the beach in the Bahamas. So Frankie's on the beach in a school that literally wasn't playing football a year ago. UAB is in a bowl game. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. amazing job there by UAB. Yeah, 
Also, I mean, there's a, there's some interesting, like, we just mentioned Memphis essentially getting a home game. Florida Atlantic is in the Boca Raton Bowl. That's a home game for them, right? I mean, you have a couple of those where they are being very strategic with their uh, bowl uh, allotment so they can actually get some attendance in yeah. some of these bowls this year. And and I've heard how that works both ways. There are some games where, where you know, a game like some of those lower bowls where it's helpful to have a home team. Then when you have uh, Miami playing Wisconsin, and is that – is that the Orange Bowl or, or that's the Orange Bowl? Yeah. Okay, where, where I've heard like essentially that Wisconsin or Miami's like they're kind of they almost want to go somewhere. They want you know they want the enjoyment yeah, of going it, and right, playing yeah. in a bowl game. Their fans aren't crazy excited about going and watching a team that just lost a couple games, in you know in a row, and and so basically, it's kind of like uh, you know some places it's helpful to be home and then in in the case of, of uh wisconsin miami i think wisconsin has an advantage there. i think they're going to get some people down there excited to go down to miami and they'll probably have the advantage in the crowd yeah no it's fair to say it's fair to say all right guys anything else on on the bulls we will be back uh next week and we'll probably actually do some picks i suppose um, we don't need to, to knock out our, our first week's games, but make sure to go ahead and uh, sign up uh, for the bowl pick'em uh, that we've advertised on Twitter and Facebook. All right, guys. So let's uh, before we wrap this whole thing up, uh, I think it is time we finally do a little bit more on knee basketball, right? Knee basketball. The uh, the Huskers uh, had a uh, successful. Uh, early Big Ten campaign, even after getting blown out by Michigan State, which is a Final Four type team, uh, they actually surprised everyone by actually really putting together one of the best games of the Tim Miles era in beating Minnesota at home. Uh, and then on Saturday, they were, uh, for Tim Miles, uh, the most competitive they have been against Creighton in a long time, it feels like. Uh, that team really was close and there were some tough tough calls from the refs etc that could have made some differences uh and uh we have kansas coming up so it's still a tough road ahead but um maybe there's a little bit of optimism here boomer what do you think man well they certainly played better against creighton than i think we'd than tradition had expected to play. Come to expect. Yeah, I, we expected the game to typically start game... thirty-five to eight or whatever it was. You know, that's what we would have yeah. been used to. And granted, they were they were handicapped by playing a you know both team in blue and a team in stripes, so that made it difficult. There was that, <laughs> but they they look good against Minnesota, which by all rights is probably the second best team in the Big Ten. They they got that win already. Michigan State's probably far and away the best of anyone in the conference. So it's a wide-open Big Ten, really, for those spots, you know, two through four, five, six. I would say the Big Ten seems yeah. a little bit a little bit down this year. A couple teams that, like Northwestern, for example, not looking quite as strong as expected. Wisconsin has a losing record. Indiana's yeah. middling. Uh, I think Purdue's probably in that Minnesota boat. But we've already shown that we could, could beat uh, Minnesota at home. So... Uh, if you can somehow piece together a, a schedule or a record of say, oh I don't know ten and five or so before you pick back up your Big Ten opponents and you still have sixteen games left and you split those, 
that, that gets you 18 wins and maybe you pick up one or two in the conference, you, you got a shot, right? I mean, that's the hope. Oh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, you've got opportunities there. So now can they take advantage of it? Well, that remains to be seen, but at least there yeah. is, you know, that, that slight window of hope before Nebraska ball usually yeah. slams it in our you know, faces honky, like we uh, expect. You like to talk about uh, Husker basketball in the sense of, like, well, you know, this is the most talented we've we've ever been because of our, you know, top 150 players and et cetera. And we do have on Anton Gill and Isaac Copeland and James Palmer and Isaiah Roby and Glenn Watson, who are all, I mean, and even after some of those transfers we had last year, you pro, I mean, this team does look more the part of a Big Ten team. Is that that fair to say? The physicality yeah. of it? Yeah, I would certainly say so there. Um, first off, I, I want to ask Mac if he wants to, uh, you know, give any any Nebraska ball discussion here. Well, he's a huge am, fan, so I'm I want to I'm listening sure. intently, um, hanging on every word, <laughs> eating it by the spoonful, okay. whatever. It's our test audience. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, the as you were saying there, Dave, I mean, Creighton, uh, up until Marcus Foster makes that last three, you know, with – 40 seconds left I mean that game was it was a one possession game and it just you know finally yeah. kind of went away at the end this is a better team it's a better team definitely on paper and it's a different team based on the, the lineup that we have out there I mean there are moments where when we have Roby and, and Copeland on the on the floor and those are our bigs and we have a couple guards with them I mean it's a different team it's an up and down the court kind of team it's a different team when we put Doobie and, and Jordy out there and and so I think we have different types of options, and that's going to come down. That's going to be helpful as we get further into this season, and we're playing sure. one team that's like Purdue. That's Purdue always has like six different seven footers that that look like the they Russian run like five seven footers oh, out there, right? You're yeah, they look like the Russian guy from from Rocky. I mean, you know, that's <laughs> so. So you have to be that's able to match reference. up in the Big Ten against a school like that, and then you, and then you're going to play a team like Creighton in, in the the non conference that or Kansas as we're going to play on Saturday. You're going to have to be able to go up and down the court with some teams. And so we have some different lineups. I think what this team is starting to learn right now is that Copeland, Copeland's starting to become that, that a bit of that player that the five-star ranking said he was. And this team... He, he looks pretty good there against Creighton at yeah, times. I agree. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, especially Dave, you are, you're, you're kind of the basketball X's and those guys here. Um, we're going to go as far as Watson takes us, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's yeah, what Watson it feels like watching this. Yeah. Do yeah, we he's play... definitely your go-to score. I have a question yeah. on basketball. Do we play Creighton more than once? Nope, just once. No, it's so a we just do this all year. So it's just one game. Unless we catch him in a tournament, which would be nice. That is all. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I know. Think I one agree. Other, I mean, yeah, one other player I'd really like to see step up. Hockey uh, and I were watching the game together, and it's just the frustrating thing is watching you know Jordy get a pass inside and just having no touch whatsoever on his shots. I mean, what did he go over five? I think. Yeah. In the game, it's Creighton. It's just yeah, you, you got know. in foul trouble early. I mean, yeah, it's, it's you got to make those 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 easy layups. I mean, those you're a foot or two from the hoop. You should be able to just set those in there, get those rebounds if you miss it, put it back up. I mean, if he makes those, that's a totally different game. If he even makes a few of them, that you know forces Creighton to defend the interior a little more and maybe open up that that outside shot a little more. Sure, so not constantly double teaming everybody in the perimeter like they were in the second half. And yeah, the just... second half offense struggled, and it, it Creighton played great defense. But to 
Boomer, your point, I mean, they extended that, that defense and it was difficult to, to generate any sort of outside shooting. So, yeah, yeah. I hear you. I mean, it, it, the team team is a long way to go, but you can at least see uh, some sort of light at the end of the tunnel here if, if they can be competitive uh, because the back half of the Big Ten schedule lightens up considerably. So if they could somehow uh, either beat Northwestern or Purdue. Yeah, Purdue is a big and, win. Yeah, yeah, be a nice it, win. And, and just kind of middle along here a little bit through January, February looks like they, they could you know stack some wins up. They, they also start uh, with a lot of road games in the Big Ten. So if they could get some uh, wins there – and have that that home home schedule on the back half of the Big Ten. Uh, they got a shot. The Big Ten seems to be wide open mm-hmm. outside of Michigan State, in yep. my opinion. Yeah, I think yeah. I I think that early loss of Michigan State, just because of how it happened, it spooked some people. It spooked myself. But at the end of the day, we realize how good Michigan State's going to be in this conference. I mean, they are they're number one, right? Right, now, right? And, and by a yep. clear margin, really number two might be Minnesota. And if they were, or they might be number two, number three, number four. But but point is, they're they're the top echelon of, of the Big Ten. So we've beaten them. And so the fact that we don't play Michigan State again, the fact that that you know we seem to be doing well against Creighton. I hope we don't get just you know. I hope we can really hang with with Kansas. I mean, that's I'm not expecting a win, but but let's hang with them. It's a home game. All right. Yeah, I it's think a home Kansas game. Kansas is struggling a little bit. Kansas, so. Kansas has lost a couple games. Dave, I do have a question for you, an X's and O's kind of question. And and this is something Miles has gotten a little bit of, you know, uh, you know, kickback from some fans and some media and stuff. At the end of the game, we went to a 1-3-1 zone. I, yep, I, right. I would be lying if I got into the X's and O's of basketball and said I knew a lot of it. But, like, we, we traditionally don't do a lot of zone with Miles, right? He's he's a man-to-man Correct. kind of guy. So what does that mean, like going to one three one at the end? How did that open up a, a you know an open three, or what does that? I guess you know. Sure, it, it's, what are, what's he trying? Yeah, the to one do three there? one has been very effective for for Miles uh, on occasion. I can't remember which game it was last year or two years ago where he switches over to it and we pull a big upset off. Uh, boy, if I could remember that, I, I, I'd sound really smart right now. But he he's occasionally used it. Um, the the problem is that you zones zone defense isn't going to match up, so you can potentially shoot over it, mm-hmm. and it's exactly what happened in that scenario, right? You don't have somebody manning up uh, their their best player, and he he can hit a twenty four foot uh, you know jumper to to break the game open right when you need it. Uh, mm-hmm. At that that moment, you wished someone's uh, hand was in Marcus Foster's face, and it, it didn't happen. But uh, it was a risk. You you would hope that Creighton would have struggled with a, that adjustment uh, in a turnover or a a a, a shot clock uh, you know turnover would have happened there, but it it didn't happen and. You know, kudos to to Creighton for identifying it and and getting it to the guy that could break the defense. That's what I would say. Was one of those games that you're talking about, uh, Dave? Was that either like Maryland or Indiana last year at the beginning of the Big Ten when we pulled off a couple of wins? I remember him getting. It was might have been Indiana. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look, but I know he he broke into that one three one, and everybody's like, "Whoa!" Because Miles is definitely a a man to man devotee. It's not like you know Jim Beheim lives on zone those type of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was it's pretty unusual that he goes to that. So, gotcha. It was a tactical decision by him. 
could have worked out and you'd call him a genius didn't work out and uh yeah you right. just gotta tip your hat to marcus foster on that one for making that shot it wasn't like he was uh you know had an easy three-pointer that's uh, he was four maybe five feet behind the arc so yeah so so hey dave and dave and boomer i'm gonna leave mac out since he doesn't care <laughs> but dave and boomer <laughs> we're, we're playing kansas on saturday so i mean what's gonna happen here actually i do know that one we're gonna lose <laughs> <laughs> i've been to Get a right. lot of nebraska kansas games including yeah. at home uh, yeah. i do remember i think in 98 we actually swept kansas home and away uh, that was Vincent Hamilton's senior year. That that was a good time, uh, but those those times are f- far away. I feel like. Uh, so you're saying we're due, Dave? We are due. I mean, I I do feel like. I mean, I don't think Kansas is particularly good this year. Uh, they did reach number two, but I, I just because they hadn't lost and they wouldn't and have lost their last two. I'm probably more concerned about that in the sense that they probably have uh, had Bill Self uh, just you know in their ear the last week so i think they're going to come out fired up i don't i don't think this team i don't think isaac isaac copeland and james palmer and those guys are going to be like you know you know intimidated by kansas though so i, I think we'll be competitive for a while uh, ultimately though we, we probably lose the game yeah just given our past history with kansas and you know they're going to have more talents overall you know on every position than we will for the most part i mean we're, we're definitely closer to to them than we have been in years past but i think ultimately it's going to be hard to keep up with them you know for the entire game and you know we'll probably end up losing and again if we can keep it respectable you know that's okay and then and then we had the three scrub games those are the ones i just don't want us to go out and pull like a yeah. gardener win last year those. no you cannot, cannot lose those yeah. you need to win all three of those convincingly Set yourself up for a, a run of the Big Ten. So I think that's just what we need to get out of this. Frankly, I'm pleased we got one out of these four games. Just getting that one from Minnesota out of this four-game stretch and looking decent against Creighton. That's yeah, more than I expected. More than I expected, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Especially coming after the St. John's and UCF losses that we had, which, yeah, I not great, but, you know, hey, let's, let's this regroup. Is, this is a team with guys like Copeland and Palmer. They haven't played in a long time, so – I'll give them a little bit of a, a pass on on a couple of those early losses because it's just been a while, you know. And I, they're hopefully hopefully are coming together as a team. Yeah, and uh, we'll we'll see. You know, we we've, we've said for for a while now that the red caskets results. Is there any way that can Kansas like stay in one of the motor lodges on Cornusker Highway, like one of those, and not just not be comfortable? I mean, is there Let's something book we can every do? Room in the Haymarket for the next week. So start making some calls, Honky. We'll use your credit card. Okay, that's right. Here, uh, let me give you the number after we're done here, and, and right. Boomer, you go and you get them. You get them scheduled there. But yeah, just something that's just not real comfortable, and and uh, I think we'll be in good shape. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, that reminds me, at some point, I'll, I'll tell you guys a story of when uh, Kansas uh, center T.J. Pugh uh, fell asleep in my bed. Uh, <laughs> I think there's anything I wrong think maybe that. you should <laughs> clarify a little bit. I was bit not right in now, the bed Dave. at the time. I mean, there's... Uh, <laughs> we don't judge but... here, Dave. This is a trust, <laughs> trusting podcast. This is the I mean, trust tree. Yeah, so. this is, yeah, you can say whatever you like right. here, Dave. This is... This is... Uh, I was not in the bed at the time, but I... I collapsed onto the bed and i'm like holy you know someone's in my and it was tj pew and i was like wow that's that's an awkward situation it's a big it dude it is uh yes yeah all right yeah 
Well, all right, let's uh, let's do some hot takes or uh, some parting like there shots. Could be more to that, that story there, but uh, yeah, not, there's nothing more to this that story. My, my, That'll be if they go big red from Omaha. After dark it's pretty simple. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty simple. TJ Pugh is from Omaha. My uh, roommate, my freshman year at Harper Shram Smith, was TJ Pugh's best friend. KU had just beat the crap out of us at Devaney Center. Uh, I uh, rarely stayed in, in my dorm room because I was usually with my girlfriend at the time. <clears throat> and uh, I happened to be staying, uh, decided to stay at my uh, dorm room that night. And uh, lo and behold, TJP was sleeping in my bed already. I was like, well, who in the hell is this guy? And it was it was Kansas's uh, freshman center at the time. All that story right. checks yeah. out. That makes sense. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. There's another another Nebraska boy going to play someplace else. Yeah. 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 Well, in yeah. basketball, hard we have a rich tradition KU. of that in basketball, though. We do. We do. Uh, all right. Th- that was my parting shot right there. Okay. I, your I parting got one shot in. is done. Knocked Dave. it out of Honky. the park. That parting shots. One. Hey. Uh, I mean that. My parting shots become a repeating thing here, but I've just got to keep talking about volleyball. This is amazing. We're you're, we're living through a dynasty, and and sometimes it, you don't appreciate it enough, but appreciate it, Husker fans. My gosh, we volleyball has now made three straight Final Fours, and I want to give particular credit. I want to give congrats to Papio's uh, Kelly Hunter. I mean, she's the only fifth year senior on this team. She's been here through every single one of these years. Um, she's the setter through it all. Uh, this is a you know, a great player on a great team. Uh, kudos to John Cook and, 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 and to that entire team. This is an amazing uh, period of volleyball that we're living through. Agreed. Three straight final fours is amazing. All right, Boomer? Well, I just wanted to comment on going back to the bowls. I think we just have a perfect scenario of cosmic perfection with everything lining up in a particular bowl. That's Appalachian State playing Toledo and the Dollar General Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. (laughs) Everything about that is just a platonic ideal. I I would think that if the uh, all the fans got a Dollar General like you know gift card or something, they'd be be ecstatic there. That's in the swag bags for all the players. (laughs) Totally, totally. (laughs) They just do a shopping spree through Dollar General. That as long as he's like basketball time. team isn't involved, we're fine. When you think about the amount of like single ply toilet paper they had to sell to sponsor that bowl, oh. it's incredible. Oh. All right, Mac, all yours. Um, oh, I don't have a parting shot after that. <laughs> that was your parting shot. That was my parting shot. I was just trying to do the calculations, like how much crappy dollar dollar general toilet paper would it be nope. at a dollar pop. Uh, no party shot. Right. Just, I guess, just I, guess I would like to apologize to all of our listeners tonight so far in Mobile, Alabama, Toledo, and uh, the Oklahoma, uh, Panhandle. The Oklahoma Panhandle yeah. that we have uh, possibly offended. Uh, yeah. It's all in good fun. Yeah, and I, any I Dollar General, you know. Yeah, any Dollar General employees that listen to the story yeah. as well. We, we look forward deal. to your bowl game. Absolutely. <laughs> 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 all right, guys. Well. Uh, hopefully we had a few listeners make it all the way through the show we had a good time uh let's call that a another go big redcast gbr gbr happy frostmas